Hey, we're back with XR at Work, Scott and Dane. Glad to have you guys today. Good show today. Hope you take a minute, watch this all the way through, and like and subscribe to our podcast if you find this content valuable. Dane, introduce our uh, our um, guest today, if you would, sir. Yeah, so today we have a distinguished guest, uh, Tom Fisk from the Immersive Wire. Tom is a uh, is it the editor or, or the writer or both? Do you do it all? What do you do, Tom? I do it all. Uh, he does it all. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, well, Tom, I, I think I was telling you uh, before the podcast started, uh, Immersive Wire is one of my favorite, uh, you know, I guess, newsletters on the XR space. And so uh, I really appreciate and I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, but if you want to start by giving us kind of a summary of what, you know, the things that you talk about in your uh, newsletter, that'd be awesome. Certainly. So it's a kind of a weekly briefing on what's happening in immersive tech and metaverse space. There's a lot of people who just don't have a lot of time in the mornings, and it's just a good way to just get a condensed view of what's going on and just make it as direct as possible. The crux of the work which I do is that I do think there's a lot of fluff out there. I think there's a lot of overinflated values and different perspectives when it comes to it and my role is to try and not um, put some sense into it uh subsidiary roles there's a lot of smaller companies doing some incredible work and my role is to share their new news as it comes so it just spreads a little bit further um this is uh news has been going on since 2020 so 2023 and yeah i'm delighted to talk with you all and just share my views and have a discussion i hope on all the things we've all been seeing yeah no agreed well so so you kind of led into this so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump right in you you mentioned you know inflated values and some of the hype that's going on in the space and you know all these different things how how do you differentiate you know what's going to be really valuable to you know people right in the space versus like the hype and the you know, the investor money and all those different things um, at, when you're thinking about you know, writing your newsletter? Um, I do tend to find that I get received press releases. And what I do is I just kind of scrutinize the press release to see what's substantive. Now, my, if I'm honest, the barrier of entry is not very high. It's really, was this announced within the last week? And is this relevant to Metaverse VR and AR? Mm -hmm. um, there are some companies that don't <coughs> who don't uh, match that. Uh, for example, I, I do have companies sometimes who remove the dates of their press releases and try to send me news that is older than a week, which is very sneaky of them, unfortunately. <laughs> and, I, and I do have uh, companies who say, "Oh yeah, Tom is really relevant. Um, this is about like artificial intelligence." which can be relevant, but not if it's just purely just AI. It needs to tie into a spatial or uh, immersive tech context. Mm. So it's there's some scrutiny, but ultimately the goal of my newsletter is to like try and do, share some good quality information and to help profile smaller players to make sure they can help grow. And that's what that's a goal which I have. That's awesome. Good, so when we look at consumer uh, XR versus, you know, enterprise XR, right, and kind of those two worlds, do you have a bent towards one or the other? Kind of what are your thoughts there? Do you try and keep a mix? 
obviously Dan and I live in a in a in an enterprise XR space, as does our, our 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 as does our audience. But I mean, kind of, what's your thoughts on that, and how do you approach those two worlds when you're curating your newsletter? I do both virtual and augmented reality, um, and I do a within reason flex of Web three and blockchain. Um, there, and and also, it doesn't even need to be with immersive tech. It can be uh, a metaverse platform which you can access as well. The input math um, doesn't really matter to me. It's more the wider context of the focus on spatial technologies as a whole, which I appreciate is pretty vague and pretty wide, but <laughs> it's one which is quite tech agnostic. Um, I didn't want to name my website to be just like, I'm pulling out out myself like something on VR focus or mm -hmm. upload VR. The, the 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 input is not the point. The point is the fact that we're entering a phase where it's more spatial with the internet, and how we're be more embodied when it comes to communications and technologies. And the core of the immersive wise to profile that and look into that, which is why um, it it within that remit I cover uh, those what you mentioned in detail. Gotcha. So, so you know, in some cases, like the consumer industry leads the industrial industry, and then vice versa. Uh, do you think that consumer drives, you know, XR technologies right now, or do you think enterprise drives XR technologies? I I have the impression that enterprise is leading to great revenue generation, and history has always shown us that uh, innovations in enterprise or business then seep down into consumer. So, and in terms of activity and profitability as well, that enterprise focus is very much a money driver for a lot of organizations. Um, I know PWC is one example of that. Mm -hmm. I know HTC is another example of that as well. So, yeah, I, I do think it's more focused on enterprise based on what I've seen. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, I, and I actually agree i think you're you're spot on tom i mean i think that enterprise certainly enterprise has the money enterprise can buy you know hundreds or thousands of headsets they can they can buy software larger chop they're gonna lead with some you know innovation uh in in the industry but i think consumer gets a lot of press right because it's sexy and it's public stuff and it's accessible by more people out there i mean certainly there's some interest on the consumer side and would you, I mean, do you, do you agree? Do you feel like consumer gets a lot more press because it's uh, just sexier, more public stuff than what's happening in factories and oil and gas? Uh, depends what week, day of the week it is. Uh, I do see, <laughs> well, I see, I, I do see um, publications like The Economist covering the enterprise mm -hmm. site sometimes. I see the uh, Time magazine do it as well as consumer as well. Uh, for in terms of market, consciousness and perception wider perception those consumer innovations are vital and that does then shape how the wider world sees uh immersive technologies as well so if for example there's a big movie like ready player one that comes out mm -hmm. the way people see virtual reality in the future is going to be shaped inevitably by a release of a big consumer movie but i think we on this call are smart enough and modern enough to know that the real innovation comes down to that business side, which then leaks down into consumer, which is ahead of the curve in that way. Mm -hmm. It's a question of just being aware that public um, perceptions is very much based on those consumer type applications. Great point. Yeah. 
do you do you feel like uh you know the <laughs> you know i i love ready player one as a movie i think it's a great yeah. movie you know from a entertainment perspective but it's also challenging for people that are in scott and i's role because we end up having to live up to really high expectations because you know it, without the cgi and <laughs> you know everything that makes that movie great so like what's your perspective on kind of where we're at in the hype cycle right now for these types of technologies Profit to solution then i think will be a, um where we are in the hype, in the hype cycle we're just kind of surfing down that and then we might go up the slope of enlightenment um maybe later this year i'm hoping so anyway mm -hmm. and, the, and the reason why it's perception i mentioned the consumer perception and it's astonishing how cynical some countries are because the metaverse the uk where i'm based uh is particularly cynical when it comes to immersive technologies there was a study that came out from a law group which explored that and it was a shame that it uh, happened and what cr the crux of it also is, I do, I'm compare that to China, where China is actually quite well supported too. Uh, and so in terms of high cycle, I think we're hitting like a little lower point, but hopefully we'll be able to go up from there. That's interesting. So like, I, I think about this quite a bit actually is, uh, what what's the like cultural ramification you know of xr uh like so you know for instance like if if the uk is highly restrictive on the metaverse and you know china uh you know adopts it wholeheartedly and and pushes innovation forward do you think that there's like a risk of kind of falling behind um you know in the uk or in other countries that aren't adopting and like I'm trying to I think about like what does that turn into, you know, over time. Uh, it might lead to a lack of adoption. It depends what kind you talk about. Are you talking about more consumer-based applications, more enterprise-based? Is is there a particular area you want to focus on? With that well, I mean, I, I think consumer just from a cultural level is probably most applicable, you know, here. But like for instance, if if China starts doing uh, parts of of their schooling in in VR and they're able to teach people concepts faster, you know, for instance, versus, you know, other places in the world, like, you know, does this become a differentiator for countries that are really leaning in to the technology? Uh, on the cultural level, I can see that. Uh, I can see there's an element of perception that will lead to adoption if it is intangible and difficult to track. Mm. And yes, I can see it leading to an impact. More fundamentally, though, I the more consumer you go, the more price elastic it becomes. I've mm -hmm. seen plenty of indications that when it comes to virtual reality, quality doesn't matter as much. It's just price. Um, mm -hmm. So much so that when there was the uh, year in the UK where the Oculus Quest came out, uh, I think it was Oculus Go, even though the Quest is the better headset, it the Oculus Go outsold it because it was so much cheaper compared to the quest mm. um and i believe that that's going to consistently be the case with these uh, vr headsets um i know pico is trying to make it as cheap as possible meta did make it as cheap as possible before the uh, price increase followed by the price <laughs> decrease which happened <laughs> last week if I remember it um it wasn't that much of a price decrease it was like 40 dollars if i remember right and then um yeah 
and, and, and I, I, I do think that these, um, these little input devices are price elastic, which is important to keep track of. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, I like F1, uh, right? And so I, I kind of think about enterprises like the F1 of, of uh, VR, where you know, all the development happens and you get new features and you know, there's kind of a push forward and it can be expensive, right? Because it, the enterprise customers can, can absorb the cost. Uh, but then you get into like the Toyota Camry, which is <laughs> the consumer market, right? And, you know, over time they start to adopt these, you know, these uh, features that happen in the more expensive headsets. But, you know, it kind of cascades down to your point earlier on, um, you know, where where things start. So like I, I was thinking about Vario, right? Vario is a great example where, you know, they've had uh, very good you know, graphics for a long time. And now you're starting to see, you know, high graphics quality and stuff in the Quest Pro and, and other things. So it's yeah. kind of a test bed in enterprise, I think, sometimes. I do think so. And it's great to see these um, innovations come through when it comes to that too. Um, I do want to go back to you on uh, the previous questions which we've been asking so far, though, because you do, this is a podcast which is focused on exile work, but though mm -hmm. so far there's been a focus on that consumer aspect. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about this bridge you have in your minds. So how, how do you bridge between that consumer aspect and the work when it comes to immersive technologies? I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take it and then I'll, I'll hand it to Scott. Go uh, ahead, man. One of the challenges that we face right now is that there's a distinct separation between uh, consumer and enterprise. So for instance, uh, I would love to be able to buy a ton of enterprise quests, for instance, um, and, and be able to deploy those. And I know Oculus for Enterprise just came out recently and all that stuff. The problem is the way that they're modeling that is more similar to a consumer market where it's like a one-to-one -one you know, you buy one headset and one person uses it at their desk or whatever. The problem is in manufacturing, that's not how users interact with devices. You have shared devices, right, that lots of different people use for training. And so there's kind of a fundamental mismatch because there's one business model for both consumer and enterprise. And so I, I think uh, I think companies are going to have to get more sophisticated over time in the way that they're thinking about the device. Um, but that's a, that's a big challenge for us right now, because, you know, from a legal perspective, like we can't have an, like a shared account across multiple people. And that's the only way to be able to, you know, do more than kind of a one-to-one -one, uh, type of uh, deployment, uh, particularly with Meta. Now, I, I think Pico, you mentioned Pico earlier, I think Pico has a much better strategy from the enterprise perspective on that because it's, you know, it's not uh, as kind of closed off as the, the Oculus ecosystem. Uh, but I, I think that's a, a big challenge that we're going to have. And fundamentally, the companies that are making VR headsets, for instance, are generally kind of content and social media businesses. They're not traditional manufacturing businesses, at least if you look at the ones who have sold the most, you know, devices. And so I think that's a big challenge that, you know, Scott and I face um, in the space currently. Would you agree, Scott? Yeah, totally. We, we deal with a lot of things in enterprise that, that they don't have to worry about on the consumer side, right? Uh, you know, an Oculus Quest in my house on home Wi-Fi uh, in a controlled environment with, you know, light and, and ambient noise and, and, 
and that sort of thing. Consumer accounts, you know, for content, that sort of thing. Totally different on the enterprise side. It's, there's a big gap there. That's why Dane and I, well, Dane makes a lot of money. I, uh, I make a little <laughs> bit right? because there's a lot to deal with, you bet. Does that answer your question, Tom? That does answer my question. Yeah. And it's um, a curious bridge uh, to pull. It does sound, I've, I'm feeling a, a, a malaise of sorts from the two of you as well, in a sense. So, Why is that? <laughs> well, in the malaise, in that you are aware of the importance of that consumer aspect and the questions and your answer implies a, a level of cynicism. Am I right about that? Uh, I think we're both a little jaded, probably, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I've, I think Scott and I have both been in the space around the same amount of time, you know, five or six years. And so we've had the opportunity to, to grow up with like, you know, some of the original, you know, uh, I guess, kind of modern headsets. Um, and I just, we've seen all the problems, right? The, the thing for us, or at least for me, it's, I have a lot of hope you know, in this space. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really think that the technology itself has the opportunity to have a massive impact on how people learn and, you know, businesses and all those things. And so uh, for me, it's like, I'm, I'm holding out hope, but there is malaise just because, you know, uh, <laughs> we've hit the, hit the walls, you know, several times. We're a little beat down by, you know, in, internal security and device management and, you know, attorneys and that sort of thing. We make a lot of times consumer solutions work in enterprise, uh, you, you know, because we have to, because we're supporting factory workers, frontline workers. Um, but it's a it's a it's a cross that we bear gladly. you know, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> listen, putting uh, putting extended reality solutions and tools into uh, industrial environments. It's it's what Dan and I both love, and we do in our day jobs, and it's a uh, it's a it's a great way to make a living. We probably overcome so many obstacles at this point that we don't even really kind of see them as obstacles necessarily all the time because it's just part of what we do. Uh, but the end result is worth it. Um, uh, making factories more efficient, more productive, keeping workers safer. It's a uh, it's a it's a great calling. You bet. I agree, and it's good to. Um go through that process as well and to evolve yeah. so 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 tom what i mean i'm looking at your newsletter right now over here on my other screen uh, i have it pulled up so uh, i'm boosting your open rate today. <laughs> um <laughs> give us some click-throughs man yeah. yeah yeah so so tell me about some things that are going on right now that are exciting to you uh so what's exciting uh not necessarily exciting, but just a little bugbear, which I have at the moment, is there are a lot of reports coming out at the moment trying to evaluate the worth of the market. So Bloomberg Intelligence uh, report, for example, the metaverse will be worth $615 billion by 2030. Uh, McKinsey uh, said um, it'll be worth $15 trillion by 2030. Frost and Sullivan said it'll be worth $720 billion by 2030. The, the range is quite wide across all of these organizations. The bugbear I have is these companies trying to pin a number on it, and I don't trust the number a lot of the time. It's it's being valued between billions and trillions, and it's very unclear on how it could be valued so high or so comparatively low. Mm -hmm. The crux of why is, I suspect, is because it's going to unlock new types of jobs and roles which um, 
I will unlock new types of value, but are difficult to track because they don't exist yet. Mm. I don't think anyone could have predicted that YouTubers would be big, for example, or TikTokers, or JPEGs and monkeys being worth more than houses. <laughs> I, think a, I think there's an element of that, and I mm. think that's seeping into these over under inflated expectations and statistics when it comes to the new sector do you do you also think it's because metaverse is such a like the definition is so opaque you know that it could be anything under the sun or it could be a very specific subset of of that i do think so and i think it bleeds into uh, studies um into it um, not doing as well as they should do so for example razorfish did a study on how the metaverse it's seen and the you could tell with the survey results that it just assumed that the metaverse was gaming so mm. it said oh the meta seemed really positively and i think wow people love to game in the metaverse but because they went into the survey defining it as such it therefore skewed the results of said data and, and how people saw it <laughs> that's a that's a common problem and mm. i don't see a useful answer until we've got a clear and globally cohesive view of what the metaverse is which does not exist what does uh what does metaverse mean to you tom that's a dangerous question right <laughs> I, I think the metaverse is the frenzy make along the way no uh, it is. <laughs> i think it is uh i i, I see it as the evolution of the internet so it becomes more um more spatial and it's more um basically in greater embodiment of the self when it comes to the internet and immersive technologies uh, that's a personal view um, that's capturing in the widest way possible based on what i've seen i'm sure there are lots of other organizations with differing opinions um if i want to wear a different hat um there will be a, a differing opinion which uh is very close to that which i agree with too but the crux of it is i just think people are just going to become more and more immersed in the what they do online and i think whatever form that takes doesn't matter i think it's inevitability of the way we are connecting together that's awesome so we certainly encourage everyone to to come to you know immersivewire.com and sign up for your newsletter you know i mean is it poor form of of us to ask you like where are you getting news from is there anywhere that you would recommend without kind of giving away your secrets or pushing traffic to another outpost? I mean, any, I mean anything, not, what do you like? I mean, not at all. Like, please support the people I'm about to say as well. Um, it, it's, this industry is far too small to just say, follow just one, just one person, follow everyone you wish and talk to everyone and help everyone grow. That's we're too small to not do that. Um, I do really like inside inside does inside metaverse. Uh, that's a pretty, that's pretty good for like daily snippets with a little bit of analysis. Organix uh, does enterprise um, kind of uh, immersive stuff, which is pretty good if you want to focus on that. For XR at work, I believe that'll probably work really well for you guys because Organix is really hits the nail on the head for the kind of work that how, you do. How do you spell that? Uh, I'll put it in the chat. Okay, perfect. Uh, listeners, um, it is A U G uh, A N I X, I believe. I didn't well, ask because I would, <laughs> wouldn't have known. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Um, and uh, well, do I follow? Um, I do get press releases, so I do tend to scrape through those press releases and see what I can add to the newsletter from there as well. Um, 
I know it sounds basic, but yes, I do Google Metaverse. But I don't, um, but I don't, it's very particular in the way I do it, just so I can get some relevant things. Um, and last I do use Twitter and LinkedIn, but both of them can be cesspits, so I'm quite careful about what I do. <laughs> hey, wait, we're on LinkedIn. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn as well. I, I think you know me enough to know that I post on LinkedIn almost yeah. every work day. Uh, I'm not dismissing the power of a platform nor its importance. Yeah. But I can, within the same breath, also say that it's not the best platform and it can be quite toxic, which I'm self-aware about. So I have a, I have a background in permission-based email marketing, Tom, as well. And I know, you know, you, I think it's, are your open rates public knowledge? I mean, you mentioned one in the, in the pre-show, yeah, but I, I really, you I really enjoy a pretty good open rate, right? And I imagine you probably have pretty good click rates if you're tracking that as well. Why do you, why do you think that is? Um, I don't mind being open about the source stuff. At the, at the moment, I've got an open rate about 48%, and my click rate is looking about 12% at the moment. Uh, there is, um, you've got email marketing brain, so I don't, I feel like what I'm about to say wouldn't be a surprise to you, but your listeners might uh, find interesting. Um, newsletters are boring in that no one would uh, broadcast and just shout about how, wow, this email I received is like the best thing in the world. But, <laughs> <Except> me. <laughs> but I will say that um, newsletters do serve a function of being useful if done right. Um, the crux of my newsletter, and I believe of why it's consistently got good open rate and click rate, is that it is consistent. It's posted once per week um, throughout the year, uh, except when I go on holidays, but I, I advertise that quite heavily. And I try to make it so that when people open the email, as much as I can, I try to put what's important literally in the first screen that appears when they open it. I don't do a preamble at the beginning, wasting people's time. I don't add like pictures too much, as much as I can. I literally want to show them what the headlines are, what the stat of the week is, what the conversation starter is. And just so that like it just hits them with the value immediately. And then if people want to go a little bit further, they keep scrolling down if they wish. Um, it, so, it needs to be designed for people who are poor on time. I just want to make it as easy as possible. So do you have, and I'm interested in this, I mean, do you, do you have sponsorships available for your email list? Will you rent your list? Will you do in-email uh, paid sponsorships? Are, are you monetizing it? Um, I don't monetize it at the moment. Uh, the make speaks to the writer in me that, like, within reason, I like writing to be free, um, within the newsletter at least. Uh, I used to do sponsors, uh, so I used to do promotions. Uh, Igloo Vision was actually one of the longest standing ones. Mm -hmm. uh, I do find the function of a newsletter is better for um, a newer company to build a presence and awareness rather than directly click through to sales. Uh, I tend to find that if, when people read a newsletter, they don't open it with the search intention of being, oh, I'm going to, I saw this service and now I'm going to buy it. They open it with the search intention in my side of becoming better aware of the market and being better aware of the companies, which sure. is why a better function of my newsletter is for building brand awareness. Terrific. Yeah, we, we've struggled. We've not struggled with this a little bit, but, you know, XR at work, we we have no sponsors. We take no money. We do this all on our own to, to further the XR community uh, in on the enterprise side. And so it's uh, uh, it's 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 good to hear that you're not, you know, hawking your stuff for the highest bidder, that sort of thing. It's uh, it's good to hear. So we certainly want to encourage everyone to support uh, Immersive Wire and 
and sign up for the newsletter. You bet. That's very kind. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, well, and I think it comes across authentically too, you know, Tom. So like, I think that's one of the things that's, that's most uh, interesting to me about your newsletter is when it ends up in my, in my inbox, I don't feel like I'm uh, <laughs> like, I'm going to read an ad, right. I feel like I'm going to read real information that pertains to, you know, the, the things that I care about. So I appreciate that you, you know, do that. Uh, speaking of your newsletter, I'm, like I said, I was, I have it pulled up here. And one of the things that the second bullet for this week is uh, Meta has sold nearly 20 million Quest headsets to date. So, uh, you know, a lot of times like companies and investors and all that stuff say, you know, uh, 10 million is like the, the network effect number, right. That you have to get to in order to hit scale or the social zeitgeist. Like, why do you think that after selling twice that many, you know, it, it hasn't quite hit that escape velocity? No, I, I remember that quote, which Zuckerberg said more accurately. He said, it's not about scale. He said that when it hits around 10 million, that's when the suspect it will become a self-sustaining ecosystem when it comes to content. Up to 10 million, it was very much uh, meta. I'm being crass, throwing a lot of money into it <laughs> in, in order to uh, uh, grow it further. And then once it hits 10 million, then becomes an ecosystem which is more self-sustaining and can uh, keep going. I would argue that we hit that stage where if you do develop content for Quest or Quest 2, at least, then you are entering a system where you will um, be better supported so long as your content is good. Um, what's the bigger question I have now is what's plans that are to keep growing to be a little bit wider, a little bit deeper. So Meta will release a slightly more expensive VR headset this year, uh, which is the Quest 3, quote unquote. Uh, I'm personally more interested in the headset the year after, which is said to be the much cheaper version. And I have a strong suspicion that this cheaper version is going to see greater pickup which is why I want to keep a trial an eye on that one. That's interesting. I, I know I, so I read that article with, with Zuckerberg, you know, recently and, and I think it was uh, Boz, that Boz, the, the guy that their CTO was mentioning that, you know, their intention was to increase their, their intention was to increase in retention uh, of, of, you know, consumers. Um, you know, what, what do you think's driving the fact that people are buying quests and not going back, you know, to them or, or not using them as often as, you know, Meta might have wanted people to? Yeah, I saw that comment as well. It's really interesting. The Verge article indicated that uh, people are buying it for Christmas and then use it and then just don't pick it up again, which is mm -hmm. really interesting statistic. Um, I also believe that's why there are companies which are more focusing on types of services and activities that are more recurring. So fitness is a good example of that. Mm. I think fitness has proven to be one of the strongest selling points of VR and also the, one of the more financially lucrative areas because you then have to put on a headset relatively regularly in order to stay fit, which mm. is good for recurring payments, which helps companies grow and help, obviously helps Meta as well, which is why there may well be a deeper focus on that. Uh, similarly, I do think that there are uh, I, I read another piece which is actually supports your point. It's it's beyond Quest, but I think it's important to say. PC VR is uh, struggling in the moment, not least because of the number of different types of headsets, 
but also because there's a weird sale culture with Steam where people don't tend to buy unless it's a sale, uh, mm -hmm. which developers themselves are seeing. And that impacts the, um, the, the way in which a company can grow because if they have peaks of sales during the launch or, or sales periods, then obviously it's not as um, predictable. Right. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, you know, that's, that's one thing about, uh, you know, consumer versus enterprise as well is that consumers are very cyclical, right? Like, yes. you know, around December, you're going to sell a ton of headsets and like, you may not sell as much for the rest of the year. I think for enterprise, there's lots of opportunity to have a, like a consistent income stream over time um, because it's not as cyclical. Uh, one one thing that's interesting too, Tom, that I I don't know the answer to this, just more of an interesting thing that we're dealing with right now, is because the technology cycles so fast, uh, we're trying to understand like how do we deal with all these leftover headsets, <laughs> you know, that we have over time. Um, so that's a that's an interesting thing to see like how the secondhand market, you know, shifts. Yeah, I do wonder about that kind of stuff because. Um... I think it is crass to compare Meta or Pico or HTC to Sony and Microsoft because I don't think the power, there are some parallels, but not all of them are strong. I do think there's an element of are you releasing too many headsets at the same time? PlayStation, you know, there'll be one, two, three, four, five within five to seven to eight year increments. Uh, Quest, you don't know uh, what the increments are, you don't know when you need to upgrade to the next one. And I think it causes an element of confusion and perhaps burn when um, uh, basically when you buy one headset and then it might be um, irrelevant a few years later. It's, it's, it's a difficult one. It reminds me a lot of like cell phones early on, right? Like you'd, you'd buy a cell phone with like the, the newest, you know, chip or, you know, whatever. And then the next week, the, the next, you know, newest phone comes out and your new, your new phone is now old. <laughs> and, and I think we're kind of at that same space, you know, from a, a VR development or a VR hardware, you know, perspective. Completely agree. And I think we're, we're, we're seeing elements of that. That's not to say Meta's strategy is incorrect. I think clearly it is working. I mean, they sold 20 million headsets. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, I just wonder what the continued long run ramifications is for a strategy like that. Hmm. So, sorry, Scott, I'm asking lots of questions, but I'm excited here. It's all right. Tom, you know, given that you do your newsletter and, you know, all that stuff, uh, the kind of ad business, you know, is, is interesting. What is like, are there things that scare you about, the concepts of running ads, you know, in the metaverse, like I, I, you know, I, I'm concerned about this from an XR perspective because, you know, I don't want to walk around and you know, like they, they show the, the AR examples of what the future could look like. And there's like ads popping up and there's, you know, all this kind of visible noise going on. Um, what do you think about advertising, you know, in the metaverse? Uh, there's a guy who I know called Zesty who runs a little API for running ads, quote unquote, in the metaverse. He's a really nice guy. Um, it's not algorithmic per se. It's, it goes out to billboards, basically, it's certain types of apps. But, oh, it's so difficult. Uh, <laughs> because it's not going to be necessarily just flashing billboards or ar things around the world I, it's not going to be as crass as that it's not going to be like in your face mm -hmm. if, if it's going to be anything it's going to be using your um 
data in order to create tailored kind of experiences or mm-hmm. tailored recommendations, which then funnel you uh, through as well. Um, Got to be honest, since the metaverse, quote unquote, not hit the scale it requires to grow, I think it's somewhat too early to discuss what these ad models are going to look like. I have strong suspicions one way or another, but uh, I, I think we're just a bit too early to have these discussions. Mm-hmm. My only advice to companies at this current stage is to just respect the user as much as possible, both the data which they uh, provide in your hands, as well as um, building firm groundwork to build the metaverse uh, ahead as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think companies have a huge opportunity you know, at, at some point, right? Like when it actually does get to a point where it makes sense to run ads and things like that. I think my hope is that the ads are contextualized to, you know, the the user and that they actually like, it's helpful. You know, like the, I, I think a lot of times like the traditional ad system is just like blast us and make sure people see it. It's all about eyeballs. And it feels like the new model is going to be like the ad is actually beneficial to the user uh, because it's contextualized in the environment that they're in. I completely agree. And I think it's that contextualization which is vital. Mm-hmm. I think we got a lot of good stuff on the horizon. And, and it, it harkens me back to the mid-90s with the internet when I first started building websites. It's like the hype cycles are just nuts and and people are trying to figure out how to make money off of it and all different kind of stuff. It's uh it's an exciting time, but I'm looking forward to it settling down a little bit. Yeah. Well, Tom, we want to thank you for being on the show today. We want to tell you how much we appreciate what you're doing in the industry, how you're, how you're helping out, getting good information out there. Um, not, uh, boring your audience with a bunch of, of, uh, of ads or, uh, <laughs> uh unnecessary commentary, but you certainly have a great perspective and, and we, we appreciate what you're doing for the community, sir. That's very kind of you. And likewise with you and your podcast as well. You're profiling um, people and to look in deep into the XR space. And judging by the discussion we had before this call, you clearly have a a goal to ensure it provides good quality and good insights um, on a perhaps more neutral basis, which is vital. And I hope that um, it's something which continues to gain pickup because I think it's important to do. Well, thank you. We want, to, we want to encourage everyone to like and subscribe. If you like this content, you can find XR at Work on Spotify now, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Uh, stay tuned for some more podcasts coming out soon. We appreciate everyone's time today. Tom, thank you from Dan and I both. We appreciate you, sir. No, it's at all. And I hope everyone on the call and beyond has a lovely day. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Tom.